Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. afternoon or good night however and whenever it is you may be listening thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the take it easy podcast happy monday everybody i hope y'all are having an amazing fantabulous week so far. We've got a great show here on the Take It Easy podcast because this is the week. I've been talking about it for about four or five months. Really, you could say even before the NBA season started. This is the week to get really back into the NBA because this is the push for playoff seating. This is where the wild cards or the play-in round as the NBA is calling it, but I call it the wild cards. The wild cards will be decided. The seeds at the top will be finalized in stone in the NBA playoffs. Every team has four games left apart from the few teams that play today, but in the last six days of the season, everyone in the NBA is going to play four games and finish off the NBA schedule here over the next few days. Tonight we've got some interesting ones. The Pacers and the Cavs, eh. Wizards, Hawks, eh. Could have implications though on the state on the seeding. Uh, Pelicans, Grizzlies, major implications there, even though the Pelicans don't have Zion anymore. Uh, the Jazz play the Warriors. That's going to be super fun. So if you're looking for one to watch tonight, watch that one. And the Bucks and the Spurs, which as we'll get to in a little bit, has some interestingly important implications for the playoffs. So we'll get to all that here on today's, as requested by the people on Instagram, our NBA seeding crash course. Here, we're just going to give you the lowdown of the NBA seeding from the Eastern Conference top seeds all the way down to the fight for the 10th playoff spot in the Western Conference. If you, like myself, have disappeared from basketball for the past few months because the NBA regular season is totally irrelevant, and if you, like myself and 25% of NBA basketball fans who have led to a 25% increase in viewership, so I guess that number would be 20% of basketball fans, who have returned over the past week or so to the NBA season, knowing that the seeding is coming down to the end, and know that we are eight days away from the first round seeding matchups, then you might be very interested in knowing what the heck is going on in the NBA. 
which I find interesting because I, we talked about this with Daily Sports Dosage, and I heard it from Bomani Jones, is the idea that the NBA only has a problem if fans aren't coming back. They've had pretty much like, I think one uh, Sixers and somebody game, Sixers Bucks maybe, one of those games ended up being out viewed by an AEW match on a Wednesday and then the Thursday was basketball. So if, if people don't come back and the NBA regular season is wholly irrelevant, a lot of stars haven't played this year, if fans don't come back, the NBA has a problem. But we're already starting to see the promising signs as we're still a week out in 25% increases across nationally televised games from fans finally returning to see some of these big NBA games and seating implications, which we will get to right now here on our NBA Draft Crash Course. Not NBA Draft, NBA Seating Crash Course. All right, that's our second mistake of the morning. So we're just going to roll all along. Uh, our first side of this, we're going to start out in the Eastern Conference. And we'll go from the top on down. So here's your Crash Course on the NBA Eastern Conference. The 76ers are the 76ers, Brooklyn Nets, and Milwaukee Bucks are the three good teams in the conference. They're the three elite teams that have a chance of winning the championship. I also anticipate, and we'll get to why later, the champion of the NBA will come out of the Eastern Conference, barring some sort of fantabulous injury late in the postseason, like what happened to Kevin Durant a couple years ago. So, the 76ers, Brooklyn Nets, and Milwaukee Bucks are the three superstars in the Eastern Conference, way ahead of everyone else. The 76ers will be the number one seed in the East, thanks to an eight-game win streak they've been on over the last eight games. So the 76ers are three up with four to play. They will be the number one seed in the East, and they get the easy path to the Eastern Conference Finals. Brooklyn and Milwaukee are going to play in the second round in the 3-2 matchup, which probably should be the Eastern Conference Finals. I think they're definitely the two best teams in the East. I also think Milwaukee is the one team that has a chance to beat Brooklyn in that Eastern Conference second round. So they'll meet in the second round, and Milwaukee and Brooklyn, the two best teams in the East, will meet up one round ahead of when they probably should meet. Uh, the 76ers, like I said, they'll be the one seed. They'll coast their way Barring a crazy upset by, like, their arch rivals, the Miami Heat, the Sixers should coast their way to the Eastern Conference Finals. Which brings us to the next three seeds, speaking of those Miami Heat. The Knicks, the Hawks, and the Heat will be some combination of the four, five, and six seeds in the Eastern Conference. The Knicks right now hold the four seed. They're a game ahead of the Hawks who I believe have the same record as the Miami Heat after results held from yesterday. So, the Knicks, the Hawks, and the Heat will be some combination of the four, five, and six seeds. All those teams really want to make it to the second round and lose to the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, the team that will probably do that is the team that wins the four, five matchup. The team that ends up in the sixth seed has to play Milwaukee in the first round, and a Miami-Milwaukee first-round series would be interesting given how last year's ended up, but this is a Miami team that's really struggling. They're definitely worse from last year's Eastern Conference champions. That seems kind of like a fluke in hindsight. They've also just had bad luck with injuries this year. 
But the Miami Heat right now hold the sixth seed, and the, the uh, Knicks and Hawks would play the 4-5. I anticipate Miami's going to jump the Hawks at some point, although I'm a huge Trey Young stan, and I think the Hawks are finally proving me right in terms of becoming Warriors South and putting themselves in a position to succeed and going from Schlentak might be fired to Schlentak might be GM of the year when, to be honest, Nate McMillan is the switch that happened mid-season and turned things around and got a healthy Bogdanovich and a healthy uh, Danilo Gallinari. So that's the uh, roadmap for the Hawks. Uh, the Hawks are overachieving. The Knicks are overachieving. Miami's underachieving. But there'll be some combo of the four, five, and six seeds. So now we get to the play-in round in the East. The Celtics right now play the Hornets in the seventh seed game, which is seven versus eight. The winner advances to be the seven seed. And one of these is a pleasant surprise, the Hornets, and the other is a colossal disappointment, the Boston Celtics. And that those seeds may not 100% hold up, because unless the Wizards or Pacers go berserk over the next four games, they probably won't catch the Charlotte Hornets for the eight seed. But it's still possible the Hornets could slip up and the Wizards and or Pacers go undefeated in the last two games. Right now, the Wizards are one game back and the Pacers are a game and a half back of the Charlotte Hornets. But it looks like we're going to have the Celtics play against the Hornets in the first play-in game. Which, you know, that's an interesting matchup. The Gordon Hayward Bowl uh, with LaMelo back somewhat healthy and obviously Hayward, Terry Rozier. And then on the Celtics side with Tatum and Brown, Marcus Smart. Uh, the Celtics have two All-Stars under 25 years old. And that's a rarity, but they have not been able to put it together because they don't have bigs this year. And they don't have shooting. Boston has just had a disappointing season all around. And... I think it would be fitting if they lose to the Hornets in that play-in game and start to create some what-is-wrong-with-the-Celtics buzz all across the NBA, kind of like what happened to the Sixers last year. So the Wizards and Pacers, I mentioned them a second ago. Right now, they play in the 9-10 game unless the Wizards or Pacers go berserk over the next four games and catch the Charlotte Hornets. The Pacers are really boring and probably going to fire their coach. There was a report last week about Nate Bjorkren already being on his way out, regardless of how the play-in round goes. As a 10 seed, they're right now the 10, but they're only a half game behind the Wizards. And the Wizards are really exciting, but also might fight, fire their coach. Fight their coach, that would be funny. So the Pacers are boring and going to fire their coach. The Wizards are really exciting and also might fire their coach. It seemed more certain before when it looked like the Wizards were left dead in the water. But Russell Westbrook is carrying the Washington Wizards, who I initially said would be the sixth seed at the start of the season. He is carrying the Washington Wizards to the playoffs. Put the team on your back kind of stuff with Russell Westbrook. And obviously Bradley Beal is still awesome but nobody talks about Bradley Beal because he's not getting traded anymore. The Wizards go from being the 13th seed in the West or 13th seed in the East, being left for dead to winning like 11 of 15 and jumping the Raptors and jumping the Bulls and jumping the Pacers to get right back in the thick of the playoff race. And now they play I think 
one of the harder schedules to wrap up the season, but they are in no jeopardy of missing the playoffs because the Chicago Bulls, who are the 11th seed, are way, way behind the Indiana Pacers, like three games right now behind the Indiana Pacers. They've got no shot. The Toronto Raptors are officially eliminated, and their window is officially closed. So the Bulls have like a 0.1% chance of making the playoffs. The Raptors' window is officially closed, and we know who the 10 teams are in the East. So not a lot of drama in the Eastern Conference. A lot of it has played out already, and that's the thing you should know. Next week's play-in round game will probably, barring the Pacers or Wizards going berserk, have the Pacers play the Wizards in the avoid elimination game, and the Celtics play the Hornets in the 7-8. Winner goes to the 7 seed. Loser has to play the winner of Pacers and Wizards for the 8 seed. So the Eastern Conference seeding feels pretty much the way it was. And like I said off the top, Philadelphia, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, those are the teams that exist at the top of the standings. And, you know, given where the Wizards were a few weeks ago, if they could get the 7 or 8 seed and play a 7-game series, I don't know how disappointed you could be. I think that that could be a pretty significant success in taking advantage of this new play-in round. But for the Hornets, it would be a pleasant surprise. For the Pacers and the Celtics, everything from this point on feels like a disappointment. So that is the uh, standing in the East as they go get beat by Philadelphia and Brooklyn in the first round post-play-in. But the play-in should be very interesting in the Eastern Conference. And... uh, This brings us over to the West, where chaos has broken out over the Western Conference in the past five months. Some of it we know, some of it is uh, more recent chaos breaking out, but all of it makes for some intrigue. So let's start off right at the top. So the Utah Jazz is the number one seed. Nobody really trusts them at all. They're two games ahead of the Suns. They'll get the number one seed in the West. The Suns are number two but also feel like a second-round exit team. No one really trusts the Suns, and oh, by the way, they're probably going to have to play the winner of a Lakers-Warriors first-round matchup. We'll get to that in a little bit. So Jazz number one, Suns number two. Number three is the Clippers right now. Now, the Clippers are one game behind Phoenix, so if Phoenix falls off over the next few games, they could miss out on that top seed. But the Clippers are only one game ahead of Denver for the 3-4 spot. And if you are subscribing to the idea of myself, which has changed a little bit now that things have gotten murky in the waters, if you subscribe to the idea that the Clippers and the Lakers are still the two best teams in the Western Conference, then you're low-key rooting for Denver to get the 3-seed and the Clippers to get the 4-seed so that the Clippers will play the Lakers in the conference finals if both teams advance to it. And in the scenario I've been talking about for about a week or so, so ever since the Lakers fell out of the five seed, is that we're looking at a situation right now where either Utah, Denver, or Dallas is guaranteed to make the Western Conference Finals, and I don't know if anyone can get super excited about Utah, Denver, or Dallas making the Western Conference Finals. 
But at least if we get the Clippers-Lakers matchup, it'll guarantee it early on in the playoffs. So, Suns number two, Clippers three, Denver four. Suns are a game ahead of the Clippers, who are a game ahead of Denver. So any of those two, three, fours could still switch. Less likely Denver jumps to the two seed, but still theoretically in play if the Suns and Clippers both fall off towards the back end of the season. So those are your two, three, four, and Utah is going to be the one seed. Then we go down about seven games in the standings. We drop all the way down six games to the Dallas-Portland-Lakers triad that is getting everyone super-duper excited. So this is the part you've probably heard the most about over the last week if you're casually stopping in on the NBA playoffs, and that is the Mavericks, the Portland Trailblazers, and the Los Angeles Lakers are dueling it out for the 5, 6, and 7 seeds in the West. And everyone wants to avoid the 7 seed so that you avoid the play-in round and have to win at least one game of your next two to avoid elimination. So here is the in-depth analysis. Dallas currently holds the 5 seed. They are one game ahead of the Portland Trailblazers. They're one game back of Dallas. And by the way, all these teams have four to play. And then the Lakers hold the seven seed, and they are two games back of the Dallas Mavericks. So Dallas is the five seed, ten back of first. Portland six, one game behind Dallas. Lakers seven seed, two games behind Dallas, one game behind Portland. So now they, every team has four to play. Now let's get to the tiebreakers. Dallas has the first tiebreaker over all these teams. They will win the tiebreaker against Portland. They will win the tiebreaker against the Lakers. In a three-way tie, a two-way tie, however it goes, Dallas will win the tiebreaker. Dallas wins the tiebreaker because they won the Southwest Division. And the way this used to go is that Dallas, even though they were six games worse than the four seed, would jump the four seed and get to host a playoff game. They changed that rule because it made no sense, and divisions don't matter in the NBA anymore. But Dallas, by virtue of winning their division, will get tiebreakers over Portland and the Los Angeles Lakers. In the tiebreaker between Portland and the Lakers, Portland wins the second tiebreaker. So they lose a tiebreaker to Dallas, but they win a tiebreaker against the Lakers, which comes down to season series matchups. I think Portland was 2-1 to one against the Lakers this year. So Portland will play of one spot ahead in a tiebreaker. The Lakers lose a tiebreaker to both teams. In a three-way tie, they lose the tiebreaker. In a two-way tie with Portland, they lose. In a two-way tiebreaker with Dallas, they lose. Which means the Lakers would have to beat the Portland Trailblazers by a whole game over the last four games. The Lakers would have to, for example, finish 3-1 and one, and Portland finish 1-3 and three to get the sixth seed. Or if the Lakers finish 4-0, and oh, Portland would have to go 2-2 two and two for the Lakers to avoid the, sixth, the seventh seed. And we'll update this as we go along, of course, but that's the scenario that they're looking at directly right now is that 
The Lakers need two full games to jump out of the seven seed. And if you're wondering how the Lakers got to this point, a big part of it recently was losing to the Portland Trailblazers on Friday or Saturday. I can't remember exactly what day it was, but that played a role in what we're talking about here. So, Lakers, two games back of Dallas. Portland, one game back of Dallas. Dallas tiebreaker one, Blazers tiebreaker two. Lakers lose all tiebreakers to Dallas or Portland. In a tiebreaker between Dallas and Portland, Dallas wins the tiebreaker. So, now let's get to the strength of schedules. Dallas and the Lakers each have the easiest schedules remaining in the season. They've got games against non-playoff teams across the board. I think the Lakers play one playoff team the rest of the season, and I believe it is the... I can't. I think it's the the Lakers play the Knicks. I want to say, but yes, the Lakers play the Knicks on Tuesday. Then they play the Rockets, the Pacers, technically a playoff team, the Pacers, and the New Orleans Pelicans to finish the season off. And the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, I'm sorry, no, the Dallas Mavericks finish off their season again with one playoff team left in their schedule. Their final games include the Grizzlies, the Pelicans, the Raptors, and the Timberwolves. So Grizzlies on Tuesday is the only playoff matchup that the Dallas Mavericks have left on their schedule. The Portland Trailblazers have three of the top four seeds in the West left on their schedule. They play Houston, then they play Denver, Utah, and Phoenix as part of their last four games. So there is a situation where the Portland Trailblazers could end up falling because of their difficult schedule, but we'll see how all of this plays out across the next few days. Obviously tonight they play against the Rockets and they're 14-point favorites. So if they end up blowing this one and losing to uh, a starting lineup, and this was a credit to Daily Sports Dosage, our homie, for this meme, because it is absolutely hysterical to see the starting lineup of the Houston Rockets the other night where the team was, uh, here we go. So they had starting point guard DJ Austin, Daquan Jeffries, Anthony Lamb, KJ Martin, and Kelly Olynyk as their starting lineup. And uh, that is a rough, rough starting lineup to be working with there. So, uh, the Houston Rockets will play the Trailblazers. They're gigantic underdogs tonight. And uh, after that, the Blazers have three of the hardest teams left. So, if they avoid the 14-point dog upset tonight, then uh, they should be okay going forward into the last part of the season. So... Now, let's go to the 8-9 battle in the West. Warriors and Grizzlies. They, both teams are trying to get into the 7th seed game instead of avoiding the 9 seed, which is the elimination game against the 10 seed, where if you win, then you play for the 8 seed in a one-game winner-go-home, likely against each other, because one team will lose to the Lakers in the play-in round, maybe. It's a one-game sample, so anything can happen, of course. But most likely, they play each other. One beats the 10 seed, the other loses to the 7 seed. They meet in the 8 seed game. 
But seeding for that could change dramatically here because the Grizzlies are a half game behind the Warriors and the Grizzlies have an extra game to play. They have a doubleheader Monday, Tuesday, uh, tonight against the Pelicans where they're big favorites and could potentially put the Pelicans out of the playoff picture altogether. And then tomorrow against the Dallas Mavericks. So Warriors and Grizzlies, half game with four and a half to play separates them. Then we go to the 10th seed game, which is probably not going to catch the uh, Grizzlies, I would think, but the best they can do is probably the 9 seed. So, the San Antonio Spurs are still keeping their way slowly but steadily into the playoffs. The Spurs are one and a half up on the New Orleans Pelicans, who won't have Zion the rest of the season. They're heavy dogs in most of their games. And with four and a half to play, they're one and a half up on the Pelicans. But the Spurs end the season with tonight against Milwaukee, Brooklyn, New York, Phoenix, and Phoenix. So, the Spurs have a tough schedule to finish the season. All playoff teams all ranked in the top four of their conference. So, Spurs can avoid the elimination by, you know, going at least two and two the Spurs will make it to the playoffs, assuming the Pelicans don't go 5-0 run the table, including some massive upsets without Zion Williamson. Pelicans need to go at least 3-1 to have a realistic shot at catching the San Antonio Spurs. And the Sacramento Kings are technically not eliminated, but the Sacramento Kings are the new New York Knicks. They are the worst team in the NBA that is actually trying to win games. And I was at the Sacramento Kings game outside the arena yesterday, or no, on Friday, watching it from the uh, giant screens. And uh, when, they, when the stadium gets hyped for Rashawn Holmes, it tells you all you need to know about where the Sacramento Kings are as a franchise and as an organization at this point in time. So... Sacramento, technically not eliminated, but no chance at making the playoffs. I think one Spurs win tonight could eliminate them altogether. But good on the Sacramento Kings. You're the new New York Knicks, the worst team in the NBA that is actually trying to win basketball games. And then everyone else is 10 games back, already eliminated, trying to get those top seeds in the draft lottery. So OKC, Houston, Minnesota, just lose, lose, lose as many games as you possibly can. Uh, and this is the big thing to know about the Western Conference, or at least what I'm deciphering here. Without the power of the Lakers at the top, and the Lakers are going to have a long road to get to where the, the to where all these teams are. Anyone can win the Western Conference, and the fact that anyone can win the Western Conference this year is a signal to me that the Eastern Conference is probably going to have a day with Utah, Phoenix, Denver, Clippers in the Conference Finals. But anyone, anyone can win the Western Conference this year, similarly to how anyone could win the, the East without the dominant superpower of Milwaukee in the way. Once Milwaukee went down, Anyone could win. It could have been Boston. It could have been Toronto. They went to a game seven. It could have been Miami. This year it could be the Jazz. It could be the Suns. It could be the Clippers. Anyone can win realistically. Anyone realistically has a path to winning the Western Conference this year with the Lakers power vacuum existing the way it has. 
Now, maybe we end up with Lakers-Clippers anyways, even if it's in the second round. And maybe those, like I've been saying the whole year, are the two best teams. But with the Lakers' power vacuum and the major struggle they've had to stay healthy and seeding falling, there is a big power vacuum in the Western Conference. Anyone can fill it, and I do think whoever does will lose to Brooklyn or Milwaukee or maybe even Philadelphia in the conference finals and the NBA finals. Uh, so, well, I guess it would be the NBA Finals if they're playing those teams. So, anyone can win the Western Conference. That's the big takeaway from that. And that concludes, after about 25 minutes, our NBA seeding crash course. Next up in our Part B here, we are going to have a second conversation from what we had with Stripe Hype Cincy last week, our boy Blake Jude. Uh, me and him had a nice conversation outside of the hour that we put together. So I wanted to share that with you as we laugh at Brian Hoyer and laugh at the Texans and have all kinds of fun on the podcast. So here is the part two with Blake Jude here on a Monday. Uh, again, support his work over at Stray Pipe Cincy on Instagram and you can find Bengals Insider. And you can go through all of his draft. Uh, his He released his 250 draft grades and prospect rankings. So you can check that out as well if you're interested post-NFL draft and seeing all the stuff we were talking about with Blake over the past few months. So here is Stripe Hype Cincy. Support for the Take It Easy podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide, and today we have an exclusive offer for our listeners. 20% off plus free shipping when you use the code TIE, that's T-I-E, at manscaped.com. Manscaped hooked me up with a bunch of tools and formulations from their Perfect Package 3.0 kit, including the best ball hair trimmer ever, the Lawn Mower 3.0. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TIE, T-I-E, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code TIE. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. I was laughing so hard at that when I saw that they might sign Brian Hoyer. I was like, oh, no, you can't, you can't do that. You can't go from that to wave the white flag to Brian Hoyer. Because anytime Brian Hoyer steps on a field, it is the equivalent it's, it's of over. waving the white flag. It is waving the Brian Hoyer means that we have given up on this game. I'm like, you cannot bring in Brian Hoyer to be with Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers. I always kind of felt like Brian Hoyer – He's like the anti-Matt Castle. <laughs> yeah, that's reason. a good way to put it. <laughs> like he's, a, he's like the exact opposite. Cause like they're both like, you know, like they're, they're both, you know, if you, if you, if you saw them both, I think in person, you, you probably wouldn't immediately recognize them, which is why I kind of like go back to that. But Matt Castle always kind of felt like a guy, like if, if he's, if he has to play 
dude is super reliable to throw up a couple of good games. And if Brian Hoyer's playing, you just give up. You're like, man, I'm not here to win. I'm just here to move on to next week. Like, get me out of this week, please. Just go ahead. Yes. And Jacoby Brissett has to get hurt for Brian Hoyer to step on the field. Like, it's that a, lot a lot of things have to go wrong to get Brian right. Hoyer on the field. <laughs> that says a lot. And honestly, like, I, I – I actually, I've thought about this, and, and this is a little, well, I mean, I, I think it's a good transition point, I guess, somewhat. Um, I almost feel like it is better to not even, like, to a certain extent, roll with, like, a Wildcats formation or something like that with a, like, for example, Kendall Hilton. Is it Hilton? Is it the guy that, that was Kendall Hinton? Yeah, the guy, yeah, who Hinton. Threw, the guy who threw no completions in the first half. <laughs> right, and I mean, like, I mean, he's a, he's not a quarterback. I didn't expect him to, but like, I would almost like prefer that <laughs> to a certain extent over any backup or any any like Brian Hoyer type guy. Yeah, so I, I, then Blake Bortles. Like, other than than, than putting Blake Bortles. Right, like I mean, at least at least at that point you're changing up things. I think it's a little bit exciting. You could possibly try to see what you can get from it. Like the, the for example, I'm gonna go back to the Bengals from every single example I can get because I, I don't know. It's just what I know best. But Ryan Finley, whenever he played against the Steelers, uh, they completely changed up their entire scheme. Finley didn't really play like a quarterback. He ran the ball the entire time. They ran a complete, and of course. Finley had the ability to pass the ball. So, of course, the Steelers are a little bit more um, susceptible to wanting to jump back in, in coverage and actually uh, cover that. So, I, I do understand that. But Finley was – his RPOs was, was killing Pittsburgh. I mean, if it's Patrick had a terrible game that year trying to figure out uh, how, to, how to stop Ryan Finley of all people, which I thought was hilarious. But it worked out, you know. And, and of course, Finley's now a Houston Texan. Uh, and, and let's see how that works out, I guess. But um, I think that – um, if, if you are able if to really just make your offense unpredictable in certain ways like that, and I think to a certain extent, maybe you take away the passing game, but I think, and, and you see college football a lot, there's a lot of teams who run a lot of wildcat, a lot of uh, RPOs, a lot of different running plays like that. That does to a certain extent make your game a little bit more unpredictable than what you think. You completely change up your entire scheme, all the film your team watches, or all the, all the film the other team watches on you guys is completely out the window now to completely reset and change the way they look. Like, I would almost rather you have a a good you know like a different kind of running back uh or, or rpo certain type of offense and just the, the basic ass offense of brian hoyer like that's just how i see it i don't know that i get that part of it it's just it's not a good situation to not have a quarterback like it's generally you're kind of screwed either way if you don't have at least like a qb purgatory type quarterback like one of the top 20 or 25, you're generally screwed, which is why the draft is so interesting with the incentives to draft rookie quarterbacks now is because if you get one of those guys, then all of a sudden the rookie wage scale changes things so that Lamar Jackson is now your running back and your quarterback and only making $2 million a season. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think that's, uh, that, that is fantastic. And I think that's, that's a big reason why like, um, for guys like Kellen Mond and Davis, I, I really only thought there was th- three draftable backups this year. And, and usually that's how I kind of am. I really only see them being like, you know, eight to nine backups or eight to nine quarterbacks. I could see drafted. Everyone else deserves to be undrafted. Like guys such as Ian Book, Sam Ellinger, like. Well, if you think about it, if the average lifespan of a quarterback is like 10 years, then 10 times nine is 90. There's 90 quarterbacks on three on each team. Then there's your 90 quarterbacks. Right, exactly, and, and I think that, uh, and and so, and I think that you know that definitely is average out. Um, but I think like Ian Book, St. Ellinger, these guys who were drafted it still uh, last year, James Morgan going to the Jets, like 
those are picks I just don't understand because I don't I don't see any upside in those guys being even good backups at this point. Like if you're gonna get a good backup, get a Davis Mills, get a Kellen Mond, and we are slowly starting to see that 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 is being turned into more of a prized like uh, you know need for some teams like the Garden Minshew case for example. Like everyone knew that. I, I think you can make a case that Gardner Minshew and Davis Mills are very, very similar talent-wise as prospects in the draft. And, and we saw, of course, Davis Mills be what? Was a, was a fourth-round pick? Third or fourth-round pick? Um, might have been third, right? Not sure. Yeah, Davis Mills was third. And Kellen uh, okay. Mond was, like, first pick of the third round. Right, right. So, um, you know, we saw those guys go in the third round. I think Davis – or, of course, Gardner Minshew went round six. So, uh, I think we're starting to see now that teams are, like, those Gardner Minshew-type players, they are prizing them a lot more now because they really think that, you know, having that guy who can be a very, very good backup, but at worst be a good bridge quarterback for you in the future is a very, very underrated uh, position for this team. And so – or for any team, really. And I think that – I honestly, the backup quarterback does not get should not get overlooked at all because it is such a key component to your team. And if you can really have the right backups, you can either for one not miss a beat whenever you're going on when you're changing teams like, or when you're changing quarterbacks. Like for example, there are certain quarterbacks that if you lose them, you're just screwed. Like if Patrick Mahomes is out, you know sorry, that sucks. But like if you yeah. Kellen Mond replacing Kirk Cousins, like I don't see that as being a great drop off. You can still be the team you are with Kellen Mond in my eyes. You can have those type of guys, or you can have a guy like, for example, Ryan Finley, who can make your offense exciting and still make the games exciting, maybe win a couple of games. But at the end of the day, he's going to be you know, a guy who's probably going to reset and help you rebuild in the future. So I think those are the quarterbacks that have really kind of taken over in the backup reigns. But like Brian Hoyer offers no upside, no excitement. If Brian Hoyer is playing every single week for you, just might as well just stop watching the season because it's over. <laughs> if Brian Hoyer plays one game for your team, your season is over. Like, unless it's yeah. garbage time. Like, and, and, and that's just why I, I, I think that NFL teams kind of, you know, of course, Hoyer's the veteran, and I think he plays a lot more in the locker room than he has a lot more in the locker room than what we think maybe. But um, if, if, I'm, if I'm ever going to be a GM in the future, I want to get at least an exciting backup who can offer some excitement for the team uh, if, if there is no shot of us winning a game. And if you run a scheme like the Vikings, where their their zone run offense scheme is kind of the big part of it, with Clint Kubiak now taking over, um, if that's your if that's your situation is the zone run scheme, sure, Kellen Mond might be more exciting than Kirk Cousins. He can he can do things Kirk Cousins can, like roll right and throw off balance. Like he can do some of that stuff. So you you might still finish seven and ten just like you were going to with Kirk Cousins like you can still have a successful season even with Kellen Mond at quarterback and he's never he's never gonna be like you don't draft Kellen Mond as like this is the takeover for Kirk Cousins but it's like yeah he's a backup quarterback he can be there for four seasons and then we can go through the rotating cycle of backup quarterbacks with better than what they've done the last few years which is just Sean Mannion as the backup for the past three seasons yeah, I mean, if you can have Marcus Mariota as your backup, you're doing good, you know? Yeah, like, but not every, there's not enough Marcus Mariota right. in Jacoby Brissett's. But that's why I think the, the draft picks are starting to get a lot more prized because you, there's fewer of those guys, but there's a big need for those guys. Like, you want the – I think Kellen Mond can be that Marcus Mariota type backup, a high-end backup for your team. That's what I imagine him as being as – like, that might be a – I don't know if that's a ceiling, but that, that's probably a good scenario for him if he ends up being like that. There's definitely a scenario where he's just out of the league, maybe in a couple of years, because he's just he has a lot of weaknesses to his game, and I think there's definitely room for him to improve. But he has a lot of excitement to certain in certain aspects of the game. Or like I think Will if, Greer, he just never plays. Like he just right. never sees the field because Kirk Cousins doesn't get hurt. 
But I think having a Marcus Mariota on your team as a backup is now worth a third-round pick compared to a couple years ago where it was worth Gardner Minshew being a sixth-round pick, right? It's getting a lot more prize because there's few and further be- – they're few and far between uh, at your mm-hmm. record quarterbacks, as you mentioned. But there's teams that want and need that for your team, especially a, a mediocre team that is still like they're 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 going they're maybe like ten and seven this year or something like that. They're like right there in the playoffs maybe. But if if they lose their quarterback, their season's over. You want to get a good reliable backup to kind of be that guy who takes over and is kind of that guy. And I, and I think it's a very of course you're never really hoping that that ever happens to your team, but you always have to prepare in the event you do. Uh, and Having that, you know, Asian McCarron to the, your Andy Dalton, or having that, um, having that Marcus Mariota to your Derek Carr, like I think that is what is very, very sought after in this league. And so, I, I do think that a couple of these draft picks at quarterback, like Davis Mills and stuff, um, I, I initially graded lower, but when I when I look back at it in a vacuum and imagine like what the picks gonna end up being. Uh, I actually understand it. And Davis Mills might be, might be a pretty – I probably should say Kellen Mond. I think it's much more of a better example. Like in a yeah. vacuum, that makes a lot more sense to me because Kirk Cousins is not going to be, you know, an insanely great quarterback for you. Uh, if he does terrible, you throw in Kellen Mond. You throw in some excitement to this team. We'll see if we can get anything out of him. If he ever gets hurt, throw in Kellen Mond. We'll see how he can do. Um, there's no, But there's no pressure behind, like, you know, the Vikings to ever win uh, a Super Bowl this year. So it's not that big of a deal. Uh, I think for any team like that, that back, prize backup quarterback like Kellen Mond is a lot more worth it, or, or Marcus Mariota. It's a lot more worth it when people are, are giving him credit for right now. How much do you think it must suck to be Davis Mills right now? Like, that's got to just suck. To not only be going to the Texans, where they're basically going to Deshaun Kaiser your ass, but – to be their first draft pick of the entire night is just brutal because that's the guy they have to hold up and say, look, we got Davis Mills. And that's just got sucked to be him. Honestly, like I might disagree with you here. I think that, you know, Dave, at the end of the day, like, of course it's not going to be the ideal team situation, but if there's one team that's going to let him play this year, it's going to be the Texans. Yeah, but so that's a problem he's... because he's throwing to Kiki Cutie and no offensive line. Like, that's the problem is that he's going to play this year. They're trying to go 0-16. <laughs> yeah, I guess to a certain extent, yes. But at the same – I mean, they're going to try to win the first few weeks probably, I would hope at least. We'll I mean, they'd, be dumb dumb. If, they'd be dumb if they did. I don't know what your incentive is at this point. <laughs> right, but I mean, I think that, you know, I mean, of course, it's a new coach they want to impress. And if, you know, if they go 0-16, they're probably already getting fired first season, which is might seriously happen we'll to see how that works out but um yeah I mean, no, we're, we're all ready for david cully to be a one and out coach like if there if there's ever been a coach hired in the history of the nfl that's a one and done coach it's david cully yeah i want to i want to root for the texans this year man i i actually I, I watched david cully in an interview yeah I wanna, I, I i'm root rooting for, for i'm rooting for them too it would be better for them to go oh and 16 <laughs> so i'm rooting for them to go oh and 16 because that would be better for their franchises get 30 draft picks in the next two years. We did this rebuild this week. If you can get 30 draft picks in the next two years, you're going to be all right. So, so here, here's what I kind of see for, for Davis Mills. Davis Mills got put in a position, almost the exact same position as Gardner Minshew, right? Like he's, you know, they're, they're, they're tanking pretty much. They're not going to be doing anything special for this organization, but he's a chance to show off and, and do what he can do best. And I think the biggest issue is if he was drafted to any other team for the most part, for example, if he was a Timmy Bay Buccaneer, maybe, um, Kind of like how uh, what's who uh, Trask. Trask is. Yeah, I mean Trask is likely going to be a backup for Tom Brady until Tom Brady retires. 
Uh, and even then, they're probably going to add another quarterback after Tom Brady that is not Kyle Trask, right? Like, I don't think Kyle Trask is going to be Tom Brady's replacement at Tampa Bay. I just can't imagine that. So yeah. he's going to have to – he's never going to have the chance to really show himself on the field to other NFL teams. And if he doesn't end up winning the job in Tampa Bay, he's going to be a universal backup for the rest of his career. Yeah, I love that pick Davis- so much because the Bucks basically just said, eh, we got every position. Bleep it. Let's just take a quarterback. We've got every other position filled in deep. Let's just take a quarterback. Honestly, I don't blame him for it. I would have taken Davis Mills personally, but I, I do think that, you know, Kyle Trask definitely has some upside too. Uh, but I, I will say Davis Mills had a chance to enter the league and, and do exactly what Gardner Minshew did. Maybe maybe the Texans go, let's just say, you, you know, you're saying 0-16. Oh, I'm, I'm thinking like 4-13 and 13 maybe. It, it, this is a good scenario. Like, this is oh, a good that's right. 17 Mills. games. That's right. Right, right, right. And, and let's just say like they go 4-13 and 13 or something like that. Those, those games that the, that – you know, Texans win. You can obviously see Davis Mills is carrying this squad. He is doing everything he can to win. You understand that the Texas team as a whole is pretty poor. Davis Mills is doing very, very good. So now you're intrigued. Like, hey, what can this dude? What can this guy do with a good team? With a good, with a pretty good squad around him? And all of a sudden, he's a little bit of notice around the league. Like, hey, this could be a guy who can maybe be a low end starter for your squad if you just want to check out and just throw in a bridge quarterback or something like that. So maybe one starting job turns into another, and all of a sudden you're rolling on in the league as a as a Low win starter, high end. So it's Teddy Bridgewater. So he's basically Teddy Bridgewater. That's exactly what I'm saying. Like he could be put in that situation, which I think is a lot better, especially financially, than what it could be for a guy like Kyle Trask, who's going to be in the league as a almost a universal backup if he can't win the job right after Tom Brady's retirement. He has one shot to have every other chance to start for for the most part. I feel like, Mm -hmm. and that that, that's going to be after Tom Brady retires. Davis Mills is going to have his start have his chance immediately. He's going to immediately have his chance now, and if he does it correctly, he will have that shot every single year that he's in the league, which is huge for him. So I, I kind of almost feel like Davis Mills' position is quite better than a guy like Kyle Trask, who's going to have that, you know, that, that really, really short leash on him. If the, if the Cincinnati Bengals couldn't win more than four games that year, they got the number one pick, and the Texans win four games with this shitstorm of a roster, how disappointed would you be as a Bengals fan? <laughs> I mean, it just depends because – that year, we had like nine games where we lost within one possession. Oh, I remember. Is... We were talking about that before we were doing podcasts. I was like, yeah, they should have beat the Seahawks in Seattle week one. And they're the greatest 0-10 team I've ever seen. Every week, I came back and said, Bengals are the greatest 0-6 team ever. Greatest 0-7 team ever. Greatest 0-8 team ever. Greatest 0-9 team in the history of the NFL. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, kind of felt that way because they were, they were actually in a part of close games. And I feel like they, they kind of had a bad draw. Like, at, at that point, they had, a, they had a pretty tough schedule for the most part. And so, um, I'm not going to try to make excuses up or anything. I, but, I, I mean, I, I wasn't, like, particularly upset. That was, of course, um, you know, Zach Taylor's first season. I, I don't know. I, I think that, you know, those, those type of – those type of teams have a brand new coaching uh, office. Of course, they're they're rolling with a p- bunch of players who are put together by another coach, and they're not going to really plan on keeping these players this year anyway. It's kind of just feels like this is just a, a year that we're just going to try to get through. Like this really doesn't matter much to me, honestly. Um, I do feel like though, um, the the aspect of drafting a rookie quarterback changes a lot if, if you draft him year one because all of a sudden you have a guy that you're trying to prize yourself. Like you're you know this is a guy that you're like all right, we're if they're going to draft for example Cincinnati. Um, the year that they went, what was it? Uh, I guess that was, year, I'm saying the year before, uh, the year that Marvin Lewis had, where they yeah, went they six and ten. Yeah, or they had a tie in there, I think. Or yeah, six nine, and one, six, nine, and one. They drafted Jonah Williams. If, for example, if they drafted a Dwayne Haskins at, at that pick instead, or, or maybe, maybe late in the draft, they got a Will Greer. 
for example, and, and that wouldn't mean to pick out a light, but I, I, I could see where all of a sudden maybe this team takes this upcoming season a lot more seriously, wanting to help progress that quarterback and play, things like that. And maybe they actually put more into signing guys around him. And all of a sudden you build a little mini roster for your new coaching staff that you're already familiar with. They can work with the scheme. And all of a sudden you have a bit of chemistry year one. I think that's what the Texans are low-key kind of doing. They're not signing any high-end guys. They're signing they, – they drafted Davis Mills, and they signed a bunch of low-end, mid-tier backups and starters who can possibly be okay guys to build around a certain scheme that you're going to build. And, I mean, honestly, I, I, think, I think it can lead to, to, to some certain success. Uh, I don't want to say this is a team going to win anything more than six or seven games. That's just impossible in my, my eyes. But, like, four or five wins – a team that is, I mean, they're not going to do anything special, but that's not going to be a, a, I don't think they're going to be the, I, honestly, this might, this might be a bold statement. I don't think the Texans are going to be the worst team in the league next year. Um, I genuinely don't. I think that they can, they can be a, a bad team. They might, they're almost certainly going to be a bad team, but. I yeah, think there's no way to I could, predict who the worst team is going to be. It's always random at the end. Like the, the right. Jets and Jaguars was super random last year. The year the Cardinals got Kyler Murray. It's random to predict who the number, the worst team in the league is going to be. But right. we just make assumptions. I thought Washington was going to be one of the worst teams in the league last year, and that was totally wrong. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, it, there's always, and, and of course, injuries happen. So I mean, it randomizes that even more for sure. Uh, and, and so I, I think that I could see, I, I honestly, I, I genuinely don't like, I think the Texans are definitely one of the, t- I think they're probably the worst team talent wise, but I don't think they, they will end up having a worse record in the league, at least in my eyes right now. So I, I guess that's kind of why like, I, I at least have a little of, I, I, I'm kind of, optimistic for davis mills and what they're really building honestly like i this is exactly how i would handle a, a new team this is exactly how i'd handle the houston texans if i was david coley and it's, it, i mean that's crazy to say but it's exactly how i do it i would sign a bunch of low-end starters try to find some diamond in the rough players because you, you really, it really doesn't matter this year cap you know you're, you're not really worried about cap space rolling over because you're going to lose watson so you're going to have a lot of money coming in anyways so Roll with these guys. Just sign them to one-year contracts. See what they do. If they if they end up doing well, give them a good extension. If they if they don't, get rid of them. Uh, and what I what I would do after this now is start to try to trade away all valuable assets for picks. And of course, start start to build up picks a bunch and try to roll with a little small core of guys that you have. And once you're able to acquire more picks, add some great talent. Continue to add big name free agents if you can. That's a little tough for Texans, but if you can add big name free agents, try to do so. And all of a sudden, you got a little something building. Um, and, yeah. and so, like, I mean, it was a very, very poor situation that David Coley landed in uh, for Houston. And as I said, it, it could very well result in a one-year termination if he had a terrible season, which I think is a very, very strong possibility with how bad his roster is. But this is exactly how I would, if I, I would handle it if I was a GM. And so, though I think the Texans are definitely at the lowest of the low in the NFL right now, I do think we are starting to see them go up a little bit more. And I don't think people are understanding that. I think a lot of people keep seeing them going downhill. I think now all of a sudden they, they hit their lowest of the low. You know, we've already kind of accepted Ooh, why I disagree on that. I disagree. I think it can get lower. I think next season can get even lower for them. <laughs> really? See, I, I, I don't I don't think like I mean, of course, maybe next season is gonna be the worst team they've had, uh, you know, since and, and since Romeo with... Cornell was pulling up there and uh <laughs> No, Romeo Cornell was the Chiefs. Who was the year they got clowny? I don't even remember who the coach was. Maybe that was the last Kubiak and Gary and Matt Schaub year. Where they, okay, yeah, they got maybe. the number one pick, but yeah, but, but, they were they were bad. But yeah, 
I, I was kind of saying like this this off season was the lowest of the low. Like the, the yeah. you know whenever Watson announced what he was doing, that this was the worst the roster had ever been. You lost everything pretty much. Watt, Watt was gone. Watson was gone. Hopkins was gone. Your entire core. It is all just a bunch of role players yeah. now on the team right now. And, and, and just I three that, stars. They've got three stars left. They've got Zach Cunningham, Laramie Tunsil, and Deshaun Watson. And they should trade all three of them, but they can't trade right. them until next year because of cap reasons. Exactly. Yes. So uh, that you know that that was the absolute lowest of their low, and all those guys need to be moved on from. But you can't move on from them. You know. You. But here's the thing. I think that adding adding these. I think it's a, it could be a lot worse. Where you, you could have just been like if you're the Texans, um, you could have just added or kind of roll resign the guys that you had and just roll with the team you had now. It's what the Bengals kind of did whenever. So like, the Panthers. Hey, quarterback. That's exactly what the Panthers did. The Panthers just right. go five and eleven and not get a quarterback. Right, exactly, and I think that's that's the worst situation possible. I think signing a bunch of low end starters who you're not expecting to win games, but maybe have potential to be a pretty solid player if they can if they can prove it to you, like a, a Alex Erickson, for example, that they added, maybe a Seth Roberts, you know, these these no name guys that have never really had the chance to start regular games or play regularly. If they get a chance to all of a sudden be a regular showing, you know, member of the team, if they can play well, all of a sudden maybe they get another contract. Like you're you're throwing out these small contracts to these small players, and I think it's almost for certain they will find two or three diamonds in the rough with this which i think is very very good for any team to have those those players that are signed to very very small contracts that can be valuable assets to your team later on i think getting those guys could be very very helpful for this team you get a rookie quarterback at least now and davis mills who i think can can show off and maybe have potential to be all right you have you know you're completely resetting this entire team and i think that um you know I would I would rather have a different team and a guy a team that you don't know how they're gonna perform like we don't know how these guys are gonna blend together and mix rather than having a, a team like the Panthers or the Bengals who have a new coaching staff resign all their players in that next year and you're, you're like you you know that they're this is gonna be the same team as last year but even worse because the coaching staff doesn't understand how they work you know I would rather have the the unpredictability of the Texans right now so that's why I actually think they're in a better position I think they're st- they're slowly now I, I will say. I think they are going up at this point. I do think that there is a, there is a scenario where they go 0-17, everything falls to complete just trash, and everything's a, everything's a disaster again. All right, I think it's 30 draft picks. I've talked about I, it in the rebuild. Get the magical 30 draft picks. If you can get 30 picks in the next two years, you can start rebuilding that team. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, even then, at the worst, at that point, after your disastrous season – you could, you're going to have the number one overall pick. Things will get a lot better from that point yeah. on, right? You can take so, that dude from Oregon that's awesome on the defensive end. Yeah, came on Thibodeau. Uh, yeah. So I, I think that uh, there's definitely going to be uh, – there. I think there's potential for this team that to, like, you know, not actually be as horrible as what people are painting them out to be because I think there is a chance that they're going to have a high drive pick next year. This isn't going to be a good season by any means. I'm not, I'm not trying to claim that, but I think that – at least now, I think they are starting to build, rebuild this team. And I think, you know, always starting a rebuild is always, I think, refreshing for any uh, fan base at this point. And I think the Houston Texans were kind of beating a dead horse by getting rid of all their players and just making Deshaun Watson be uh, trying to play around this team with, with a bunch of nobodies. Uh, now that Deshaun Watson is probably going to be out of your team, you're going to be able to trade a lot of these picks, get a lot of draft picks, hopefully, for your squad. I think now all of a sudden you've started the rebuild and this is a, this is a chance for them to start going up. So they're going up. The Bengals did this when they drafted Joe Burrow. You know, the Dolphins did that the year they hired, you know, Brian Flores really. I think this is, this is the Texas time. This is when they're going to start doing this. So I think they're still going to start coming on the up and up now uh, at this point. I think, I think it really can't go lower than what we saw at the end of this off season. 
Uh, and and we'll, we'll we'll always mention we'll always go back to this 2021 season as the the worst season for them in the regular season. You know, but I think at this point the 2020 offseason was the absolute lowest of the low, and I think you're slowly going to start seeing improvement from that point on. Never doubt the powers of Jack Easterby to keep bleeping things up for the Texans. Like it could I. I don't know. Would 0-17 be worse than this? I don't know. I, I actually don't know if 0-17 would be more of an embarrassment than this offseason for them. It's, it's close. I don't think it would. Yeah. I don't think it would. Uh, at, the, at, at the least, you have a backup quarterback and a, a team full of nobodies and a new coaching staff. You have a legitimate excuse if you don't go. If and then go just Mark Ingram. And then just Mark Ingram showing up. He's like, what am I doing here? <laughs> I'm just I mean, here yeah. to collect a contract. Right. I mean, it's like, it's like, you know, these are, these are just guys that you're just going to have for one year deals anyways. So it's like yeah. I, almost a, a pointless season for them. This is just the see This is for them to see what they have. Right. And so if they go on 17, they realize they don't have much. So they're going to completely get rid of everyone and reset again. And that is, yep. that is almost ideal for any rebuilding team. I think that's what you want. You want a team that, you know, they're going to throw contracts out. If the guy works out, they can resign them. Maybe if it doesn't work yes. out, take it all, trade all your picks away, all your great players away for great picks, get, Stacked on caps, make get stacked on draft picks. Do exactly what the Dolphins and Jets have done, and and Jaguars and as well. And, and, and the Browns, Browns did it best. Get stacked on all of those assets and just get a fantastic squad and build it the way you want to build it. Because that, that is certainly possible now in this league. Now, and I think the Texans are slowly building towards that kind of area after uh, what I've seen for them doing this offseason. So um, I am very happy. Uh, I think right now, at least in my eyes, with how the Texans have. After that lowest of the low, what they have done since then. And I think that, uh, you know, they, they made a lot of mistakes on the way, but I think this new coaching staff could be heading towards a better direction now. It's going to be a terrible season, but it's expected. I think that they are slowly going to improve maybe uh, if you give them a sh- chance to. I, w- I would let David Coley play or be a coach for two or three years just to see how it would work out, honestly. I, I really would. So uh, I- I- I'm-, I'm rooting for them. I want to see them do well, and I, I think that's going to be a very, very – that's going to be one of the teams I'm going to monitor by far the most in the NFL in the next couple of seasons. Blankest slate possible. That's one of the best right. ways to go about it. Exactly. You need a blank slate, and it's exactly what they're doing. They're saying it's completely blank, and that's what you want. Yes, I agree. We're going to add this extra part to another podcast. This is like close to hour two coming up here. Okay. So we'll add this part to the podcast some other time. But that other stuff's already set up for the podcast. So I appreciate it. Check out your stuff, Stripe Hype Cincy, and Blake Jude's got his website, bangalsinsider.com, and all that fun stuff that you can do to keep supporting him because we have fun two-hour conversations like this on a Friday morning. Yep, for sure. I appreciate appreciate you having me on yet again. And, uh, yeah, I'm sorry I missed the podcast last night. It was uh, was, was was a crazy couple of days. But, uh, yeah, I'm I'm glad to get this done and then uh, have another good talk for sure. Hell, yeah. All right, we'll chat again soon. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.